0: Hello listeners, this is the reading of the Sabbath School lesson for the fourth and final quarter of 2022.
1: The series is titled On Death, Dying and the Future Hope. The author is Dr Alberto Tim, while your readers are Percy and Sybilla Harold. This is lesson four, ready for teaching on October 22. It's titled The Old Testament Hope. And I'm Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, October 15. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we study the truths of the Bible, as we see more about your love and your grace for us, as we see more about your character, as we understand more what actually happens when we die, but also your compassion for us. We pray that as this week we look at some examples in the Old Testament, that your Holy Spirit will be here to guide us and to bless us. And wherever we're listening, Lord, I pray for a blessing on each of us. But particularly I'd like to pray for Bruce Matthew in Good Hope in Guyana in South America, for Alice in Nairobi in Kenya, for Audrey and her husband in Jamaica, for Felicia in Barbados and Cairo in Argentina and Monica in St. Vincent, for Methiro in Malawi, Leyland and Marilla in Byron Bay, and Benjamin in Oregon, all of whom have contacted us to let us know how much they appreciate uh, these Sabbath School lessons being read. Lord, we just pray that as they listen and as so many thousands around the world listen, that your name may be glorified, that people may see Jesus, and that not only will they see him, but they will walk with him and they'll be looking for that day when he comes again. Bless us each one, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 and 19. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son. He considered the fact that God is able to raise someone from the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Let's read that again, Hebrews 11, verses 17 and 19. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son. He considered the fact that God is able even to raise someone from the dead. And, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The Old Testament hope is grounded not on Greek ideas about the natural immortality of the soul, but on the biblical teaching of the final resurrection of the dead. But how could a no longer existent human body, cremated into ashes or destroyed by other means, be brought to life again? How can someone who has been deceased, perhaps for centuries or even millennia, recover again his or her identity? These questions lead us to reflect on the mystery of life. We are alive and enjoy the life that God graciously grants us every day. Even without beginning to understand the supernatural origin of life, we know that in the beginning, God brought life into existence from non-life, through the power of his word. And we read this in a number of places. Uh, Back in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 12, we read that God created grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. That was verse 12. And in verse 21, we read that he also created great sea creatures, and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded, according to their kind, and every winged bird, according to its kind. And then we read in verse 25, that God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And in verse 27, he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And we also find verses in Psalm chapter 33 and verses 6, and 9. Verse 6 reads, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And verse 9, For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So if God was able to create life on earth the first time from nothing, the Latin is ex nihilio, Why should we doubt his capacity to recreate human life and to restore its original identity? This week we will reflect on how the notion of the final resurrection unfolded in Old Testament times, with special focus on the statements of Job, some psalmists, and the prophets Isaiah and Daniel. Sunday, October 16. I shall see God. Read Job chapter 19, verses 25 to 27, and compare it with John one eighteen and 1 Timothy 6.16. When, and under what circumstances, was Job expecting to see God? Job 19, beginning at verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. And John chapter 1 and verse 18, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him and 1st Timothy chapter 6 and verse 16, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable life, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honour and everlasting power. Amen. Life is not fair. We see this especially when we see the good suffer and the unrighteous prospering, as we read in Psalm seventy-three twelve to seventeen behold these are the ungodly who are always at ease they increase in riches surely i have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence for all day long i have been plagued and chastened every morning If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. And Malachi chapter 3, verses 14 to 18, "'You have said it is useless to serve God.' What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, but those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him, for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make up my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God, and one who does not serve God. For example, Job was blameless and upright, and feared God and shunned evil, as we read in Job 1 verse 1. Even so, God allowed Satan to afflict him in several disastrous ways. Physically, his body was ravaged by painful disease, as we read in Job chapter 2 verses 1 to 8. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although he incited me against him to destroy him without cause? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself, while he sat in the midst of the ashes." Materially, he lost large portions of his livestock and properties, as we read in Job 1 verse 13 through to 17. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing and the donkeys feeding beside them, when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And verse 17, while he was still speaking... Another also came and said the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped, to tell you. Without his household, he lost his servants and even his own children, as we read in verses 16 to, and 18 of chapter 1. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And verse 18, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And emotionally, he was surrounded by friends who accused him of being an impenitent sinner who deserved what he was facing. As you read in Job 4, 1-5, Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? Who can withhold himself from speaking? Surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now I come to you, and you are weary. It touches you, and you are troubled. Is not your reverence, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? And verse 27. Does not their own excellence go away? They die, even without wisdom. And then in Job chapter 8, verses 1 to 22, then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you speak these things, and the words of your mouth be like a strong wind? Does God subvert judgment? Or does the Almighty pervert justice? If your sons have sinned against Him, He has cast them away for their transgression." If you would earnestly seek God, and make your supplication to the Almighty, if he were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you, and prosper your rightful dwelling place, though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. For inquire, please, of the former age, and consider the things discovered by their fathers, For we were born yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? Can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the reeds flourish without water? While it is yet green and not cut down, it withers before any other plant. So are the paths of all who forget God, and the hope of the hypocrite shall perish, whose confidence shall be cut off, and whose trust is a spider's web. He leans on his house, but it does not stand. He holds it fast, but it does not endure. He grows green in the sun, and his branches spread out in his garden. His roots wrap around the rock heap. And look for a place in the stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I have not seen you. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. And then in chapter 11, verses 1 to 20, Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? But you have said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in your eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you, that he would show you the secrets of wisdom, for they would double your prudence. Know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by, imprisons and gathers to judgment, then who can hinder him? For he knows deceitful men, he sees wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? For an empty-headed man will be wise, when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. If you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward him— If iniquity were in your head and you put it far away and would not let wickedness dwell in your tents, then surely you could lift up your face without spot. Yes, you could be steadfast and not fear, because you would forget your misery and remember it as waters that have passed away, and your life would be brighter than noonday. Though you were dark, you would be like the morning, and you would be secure because there is hope. Yes, you would dig around you and take your rest in safety. You would also lie down and no one would make you afraid. Yes, many would court your favour. But the eyes of the wicked will fail and they shall not escape. And their hope? Loss of life. And there are others in Job. Even his own wife stated, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. In Job chapter 2, verse 9, Job did not realise that he had become the epicentre of a deep cosmic struggle between God and Satan. Afflicted by those struggles, Job regretted his own birth and wished that he had never been born. Let's read about that in Job 3, verses 1 to 26. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born and the night on which it was said a male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful sound come into it. May those curse it who curse the day, those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. May the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light but have none and not see the dawning of the day because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb nor hide sorrow from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breast that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and be quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counsellors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest, there the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter of soul? Who long for death, but it does not come? And seek for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly, and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, and when God is hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest. For trouble comes. Yet his unconditional faithfulness to God is well expressed in the words of chapter 13, verse 15 Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even imagining that soon his life would end, he kept his assurance that death would not have the final word. With strong conviction, he stated that although he would die, his Redeemer would one day stand up and he, Job himself, would see God in his own flesh. As we read in Job nineteen twenty-five to 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns. Within me, As we read in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, volume 3, page 549, this is an unmistakable glimpse of the resurrection. End of quote. What a glorious hope in the midst of such a tragedy. Surrounded by sickness and pain, economic collapse, social reproach and emotional breakdown, Job could still anticipate the day when he would rise from the dead and behold his beloved Redeemer. Actually, Job's statement about the resurrection was filled with the same assurance as found centuries later in Martha's utterance to Jesus, in John 11.24. I know that he, Lazarus, will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Job, like Martha, had to claim this promise by faith. Even though, unlike Job, Martha would soon be given powerful empirical evidence for her belief. And so to finish today, how can we learn to trust God even amid the harsh unfairness of life? Monday, October 17, from the power of the grave. Read Psalm 49. What led the psalmist to be so sure of his final resurrection in verse 15, in contrast to those who perished without that assurance in verses 6 to 14? Psalm 49, beginning at verse 1. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark saying on the harp. Why should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches? None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease for ever. that he should continue to live eternally, and not see the pit." For he sees wise men die, likewise the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever, their dwelling places to all generations, they call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless man, though in honour, does not remain, he is like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish, and their posterity who approve their sayings sellah. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave, death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave, far from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me, Salah. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him, though while he lives he blesses himself. For men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. A man who is in honour, yet does not understand is like the beasts that perish psalm forty nine speaks about the false confidence of the foolish who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches in verse six, who call their lands after their own names in verse eleven and who live only to bless themselves in verse eighteen. They act as if their houses and their own glory would last for ever in verses eleven and seventeen. But the foolish forget that their honour vanishes, and that they perish just as the beasts do. We read about that in verse 12. Like sheep they are laid in the grave, death shall feed on them, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave, far from their dwelling. We read in verse 14. As stated by Job centuries later, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart verse 21 of Job chapter 1. We also read this in First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we will carry nothing out. The psalmist points out that both the fool and the wise die, leaving their wealth to others in verse 10 of chapter 49 in Psalms. But there is a radical contrast between them. On one side are the fools who perish, even though trying to find assurance in their own transient possessions and accomplishments. In contrast, the wise behold, beyond the human saga and the prison of the grave, the glorious reward that God has reserved for them, as we read in First Peter 1 verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And then in... Psalm 49 verse 15, with this perception in mind, the psalmist could say with confidence, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Consistent with the Old Testament hope, this statement is not suggesting that at the time of his death the soul of the psalmist would fly immediately into heaven. The psalmist is simply saying that he would not remain forever in the grave. A time would come when God would redeem him from death and take him to the heavenly courts. Once again, the certainty of the future resurrection is depicted bringing hope, assurance and meaning to this present existence. So the wise will receive a far more glorious and everlasting reward than what the foolish could gather for themselves during this short life. And so to finish the day. What are the ways that you have been able to see the folly of those who trust in their own wealth and accomplishments? How can keeping your eyes on the cross protect you from falling into the same error? Tuesday October 18 From the depths of the earth Read Psalm 71 What did David imply when he asked God to bring him up again from the depths of the earth in verse 20? Well, let's start the whole psalm in verse 1 In you, O Lord, I put my trust, let me never be put to shame Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape Incline your ear to me and save me Be my strong refuge, to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hound of the unrighteous and cruel man. For you are my hope, O Lord God, you are my trust from my youth." By you I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. I have become as a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For my enemies speak against me, and those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him, pursue and take him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, do not be far from me, O my God, make haste to help me. Let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually, and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. For I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and grey-headed... O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Also, your righteousness, O God, is very high. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Also with the lute I will praise you, and your faithfulness, O my God, to you I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you, and my soul which you have redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought to shame who seek my hurt. In Psalm 49 we found a touching expression of hope in the resurrection in contrast to the false assurance of the fool who trusted in his wealth. In Psalm 71, David seeks security and hope from God, while surrounded by enemies and false accusers who say that God has forsaken him. In verses 10 and 11, For my enemies speak against me, and those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue and take him, for there is none to deliver him. Amid his trials, David finds comfort and assurance in recalling how God had cared for him in the past. First, he realises that God had upheld him from birth and even had taken him out of his mother's womb, as we read in verse 6, By you I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you then he acknowledges that god had taught him from his youth in verse 17 o god you have taught me from my youth and to this day i declare your wondrous works With the certainty that God was his rock and fortress, David pleads with him, Be my strong refuge, to which I may resort continually, in verse 3. And then in verse 9, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. And in verse 12, O God, do not be far from me, O my God, make haste to help me. And then David adds in verse 20, You, who have shown me great and severe troubles, shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. The expression, from the depths of the earth, could be understood literally as an allusion to the future physical resurrection of the psalmist. But the context seems to favour a metaphorical description of David's condition of deep depression, as if the earth were swallowing him. Let's compare that with Psalm 88, And verse 6, You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. And Psalm 130, verse 1, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. So we could say that it is primarily figurative speech, but also hints at a physical resurrection, as indicated in the Andrew Study Bible, page 726, with that note on Psalm 71, verse 20. Let me read that again. So, we could say that it is primarily figurative speech, but also hints at a physical resurrection. In the end, what's important to grasp is that, whatever our situation, God is there. He cares, and ultimately, our hope isn't found in this life, but in the life to come, the eternal life we have in Jesus after our resurrection, at his return. And so to finish the day. we all have had some terrible moments of discouragement. How, though, can focusing on the ways that the Lord has been with you in the past help you press on ahead in faith and trust in the moments when He seems far away? Wednesday, October 19. Your dead shall live. Read Isaiah chapter 26, verses 4 and 19. What is the contrast between those who will perish forever? And we'll look at Isaiah 26, 14, and Malachi 4.1, and those who will receive eternal life will come back to Isaiah 26, 19. But first of all, Isaiah 26, verse 14: they are dead, they will not live. They are deceased, they will not rise. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them, and made all their memory. To perish, and verse 19, Your dead shall live, together with my dead body they shall rise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. What is the contrast between Isaiah twenty-six fourteen? They are dead, they will not live, they are deceased, they will not rise, therefore you have punished and destroyed them, and made all their memory perish, compared to Malachi 4.1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. They will leave them neither root nor branch. And then verse 19 of chapter 26 of Isaiah, Your dead shall live, together with my dead body. They shall arise, awake, and sing, you who dwell in dust for your dew is like the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead and we compare that with isaiah 26:19 your dead shall live together with my dead body they shall arise awake and sing you who dwell in dust for your dew is like the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead the book of isaiah presents a major contrast between the majesty of god and our human frailty we see this best in Isaiah chapter 40, and that has, I'm reading, looking down, it has 31 verses. I think it's worthwhile reading the whole chapter of Isaiah 40. "'Comfort, yes, comfort my people,' says your God. "'Speak comfort to Jerusalem, and cry out to her, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins.' The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, Cry out, and he said, What shall I cry? All fresh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings get up into the high mountain o Jerusalem you who bring good tidings lift up your voice with strength lift it up be not afraid say to the cities of Judah behold your God behold the Lord God will come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him behold his reward is with him and his work before him he will feed his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead them those who are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Weighed in the mountains in scales and the hills in balance? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counsellor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman moulds an image, the goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skilled workman, to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted, scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth, when he will also blow on them, and they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, no one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary." They shall walk and not faint. Though we are like the grass that withers and the flower that fades, the word of God remains forever, as we read in verses 6, 7 and and eight. The voice says, Cry out, and he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands for ever. Despite our human sinfulness, however, God's saving grace is available to all human beings and becomes effective even to the Gentiles who embrace his covenant and keep the Sabbath, as we read in Isaiah chapter 56. And that reads, Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and holds fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations." The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, says, Yet I will gather to him. Others besides those who are gathered to him. All you beasts of the field come to devour all the beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs which never have enough. And they are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his own gain from his own territory. Come, one says, I will bring wine, and we will fix ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today, and much more abundant. In the book of Isaiah, the hope of the resurrection is broadened significantly. While previous biblical allusions to the resurrection were expressed more from personal perspectives, the prophet Isaiah speaks of it as including both himself and the covenantal community of believers. He said that in Isaiah 26.19, but we'll also look at some other texts as well. Isaiah 26.19 read... Your dead shall live, together with my dead body they shall arise, awake and sing, you who dwell in dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out her dead. Let's go to Job chapter 19 and verses 25 to 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. And Psalm 49 verse 15, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. And Psalm 71 verse 20, You who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again, and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Isaiah 26 contrasts the distinct destinies of the wicked and the righteous. On one side, the wicked will remain dead without ever being brought to life again, at least after the second death of Revelation 21 verse 8. Let's read that. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. They will be completely destroyed, and all their memory will perish forever. As we read in Isaiah 26.14, they are dead, they will not live, they are deceased, they will not rise. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them, and made all their memory to perish. This passage underscores the teaching that there are no surviving souls or spirits that remain alive after death. Speaking about the final destruction of the wicked, which comes later, the Lord stated elsewhere that the wicked will be completely burned up, leaving them neither root nor branch in Malachi 4 verse 1. On the other side, the righteous dead will be raised from death to receive their blessed reward. Isaiah 25 highlights that the Lord God will swallow up death forever and will wipe away tears from all faces in verse 8. In Isaiah 26, we find the following words in verse 19. Your dead shall live, together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. All the resurrected righteous will participate in the joyful feast that the Lord will prepare for all people. In Isaiah 25, verse 6, And in this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. The final resurrection will bring together all the righteous from all ages, including your beloved ones who already died in Christ. And so to finish today, imagine if we didn't have any hope, any assurance, any reason to think that our death was anything but the end of everything for us. And then, even worse, anyone who ever knew us would be gone. And soon it would be as if we never existed and our lives never meant anything at all. How does this fate contrast with the hope that we have? Thursday, October twenty. Those who sleep in the dust. As we will see, the New Testament talks a great deal about the resurrection of the dead. And, as we have already seen, the idea of the resurrection of the dead appears in the Old Testament as well. These people, in Old Testament times, had the hope of the final resurrection that we do. Martha, living at the time of Jesus, already had this hope, as we read in John eleven twenty-four. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. No question, even then, the Jews had some knowledge of the resurrection in the last days, even if not all believed it. As we read in Acts 23, verse 8, For the Sadducees say, There is no resurrection, and no angel or spirit, But the Pharisees confess both. Read Daniel chapter 12. What resurrection hope is found here in the writings of this great prophet? Daniel 12, beginning at verse 1, At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time." And at that time your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine, like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars for ever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfilment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand, and his left hand to the heaven, and swore by him who lives for ever, that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be one thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days, but you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 refers to Michael the great prince, whose identification has been much disputed. Because each of the great visions in the book of Daniel culminates with the manifestation of Christ and his kingdom, the same should be the case in regard to this specific passage. In the book of Daniel, we find allusions to the same divine being as the Prince of the Host in chapter 8 verse 11, the Prince of Princes in chapter 8 verse 25, Messiah the Prince in chapter 9 verse 25, and finally as Michael the Great Prince in Daniel chapter 12 verse 1. So we should identify Michael also as Christ the old testament passages considered so far in this week's lesson in job chapter 19 25 to 27 and psalm 49:15 and psalm 71 verse 20 and isaiah 26:19 all speak of the resurrection of righteous people but daniel 12 speaks of a resurrection of both the righteous and unrighteous When Michael stands up, as it says in verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Many view this verse to be talking about a special resurrection of certain people, both the faithful and the unfaithful, at Christ's return. As we read in the Great Controversy, page 637, Graves are opened, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt, Daniel 12, 2. All who have died in the faith of the third angel's message come forth from the tomb glorified, to hear God's covenant of peace with those who have kept his law. They also which pierced him, Revelation 1 7, those that mocked and derided Christ's dying agonies, and the most violent opposers of his truth and his people, are raised to behold him in his glory, and to see the honour placed upon the loyal and obedient. October 21. Modern science teaches that all matter is composed of atoms, themselves made up of two smaller particles, quarks and leptons, which are believed to be the building blocks of all physical reality. If then at the core of the physical world is quarks and leptons, couldn't the God who not only created and sustains that world, also just reconfigure the quarks and leptons when the time comes to resurrect us? Mocking the resurrection, atheist Bertrand Russell asked, what happens to those whom cannibals ate? Because their bodies are now part of the cannibals. And so who gets what in the resurrection? But suppose the Lord simply grabs quarks and leptons, the ultimate building blocks of existence from wherever, and, based on the information that he possesses about each one of us, reconstructs us from those quarks and leptons on up. He doesn't need our original ones, any will do, or in fact, he could just speak new quarks and leptons into existence and go from there. However he does it, the God who created the universe can recreate us, which he promises to do at the resurrection of the dead. We read in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 4, page 1143, a quote from Ellen White, which reads, "'The life-giver will call up his purchased possession in the first resurrection, and until that triumphant hour, when the last trump shall sound and the vast army shall come forth to eternal victory, every sleeping saint will be kept in safety, and will be guarded as a precious jewel, who is known to God by name.'" by the power of the Saviour that dwelt in them while living, and because they were partakers of the divine nature, they are brought forth from the dead." End of quote. And that brings us to our two discussion questions this week. One, there are an estimated two trillion galaxies out there, each made of billions and billions of stars. And some of these stars have planets orbiting them, just as the planets in our solar system orbit the sun. Now think about the incredible power of God, who not only created all these stars, but who also sustains them and knows them by name, as we read in Psalm 147 verse 4. Though this amazing reality does not prove that this same God can or will raise the dead, how does it reveal to us this same awesome power that He does have, and why, certainly, Something like the resurrection would not be beyond his power. And question 2. Hebrews chapter 11 highlights the faithfulness and expectations of many of the heroes of faith of ancient times. How can this chapter enrich our understanding of the hope that the characters in the Old Testament had, even before the resurrection of Jesus? And now it's time for Inside Story with Sybilla. Thank you, Sybilla.
0: Sharing Living Water by David Maldonado Antonio Maldonado didn't know much English, so he motioned to an interpreter at the reception at the US White House in Washington. Antonio, a member of a mining delegation visiting from Peru, saw that the guests were being served fine whiskey, but he simply wanted a glass of pure water to raise for the toast with President Lyndon B. Johnson. Speaking through the interpreter, he politely voiced his desire to a waiter. It was a difficult request to make. Everyone seemed to be holding glasses of whiskey, and Antonio didn't want to make a scene. He didn't want to embarrass fellow delegates as they wrapped up the US trade talks. But as a young man, he had made a commitment never to drink after seeing the ruin that alcohol had brought to homes in Peru. Two years earlier, in 1963, he had given his heart to Jesus after hearing Voice of Prophecy radio broadcasts. While Antonio spoke softly with the White House waiter, a pair of eyes watched him. Those eyes followed the waiter as he brought Antonio a glass of water. As Antonio accepted the water, he heard a voice speak. "'Waiter, wait,' the voice said. "'What did the gentleman ask of you?' This guest wanted us to change his whiskey glass for one with pure water, Mr President, the waiter replied. Lyndon Johnson extended an arm and handed his own glass of whiskey to the waiter. Please bring me a glass of water as well, he said. After the toast, the President approached Antonio and, almost whispering, asked, Why don't you drink like the others? With the interpreter's help, Antonio replied with a large smile. When I was young, I promised myself that I would never drink. And many years later, I renewed that promise with God, he said. So far, everything has worked well. The president extended a hand. Congratulations for being such a magnificent example, he said. I too am a man of faith. God bless you. A firm handshake ended the conversation. As Antonio mingled at the reception, he felt curious stares. His habit of abstaining from alcohol, strengthened by his faith, had resulted in an unexpected encounter with one of the most powerful people on earth. His heart rejoiced that he had been able to represent God at the White House. Today, Antonio seeks to represent God every day in Concepcion, Peru, where he lives with his wife, Emma. He is 99 and she is 90, a living witness to their conviction that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of god as quoted in 1 corinthians chapter 10 verse 31
1: this lesson was read by dr percy harold for christian services for the blind Sponsored by the Sabbath School Department and distributed through Hope Channel Australia, this podcast is also redistributed by Hope Channel Germany, Christian Record Services for the Blind. It is also available on SoundCloud and through multiple podcast distributors, including Apple iTunes. And you can listen and watch at the same time on YouTube. Remember, God is always faithful.